0: We never know where life will lead us or what may hinder us along the way. But while every day can feel like one big question mark, it doesn't
1: have to. With the right insights, strategies, and solutions from Western and Southern Financial Group, together we
0: can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Doing. Last week they had Brainy. this week they got Brainy. We're doing it, we're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward <laughs> from this point on, I will not make reference to PML. Ready to get into it?
1: Yeah, yeah. Alright, so, we're going team by team. I would be very careful about this Stone. Am I going to get sued? illegal legal on this? I yeah, like the ball like football season and all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL podcast Friday today, which means no Steve Palazzolo, but the return of Mike Renner. How's it going, Mike? Doing
0: fantastic, Sam. Ready to almost draft month. One more day, and it's April, and then it's here, and then we have an awesome
1: draft month. It's like those people that have you know a birthday month for the entire oh. month the worst (laughs) birthday month people are the worst absolutely um so today we're going to talk about sort of dream scenarios for these teams with two first round draft picks um i want to kick it off though by talking a little bit generally about if you're a gm if you're one of these teams how would you approach the idea of having two first round draft picks obviously you know you're in an advantageous position relative to the teams with one or the teams that don't have any but how, how do you treat that? Because it's not like in the most part, you didn't give up something to get that extra draft pick, right? It's not, it's not house money the way it's often seen as like you there was a deal involved, and whether you yeah. traded away a player, whether you moved down, like you sacrificed something to get that second first round draft pick. And then what you brought up the last time you were on the show, I think, for some teams, it's giving them a draft pick that kind of puts them dramatically out of position in the draft relative to where they should be based on, you know, their record last year, a playoff team picking deep inside the top 10. So what would your approach be generally if you had these two first round picks?
0: Yeah, it's a unique situation to be in uh, and obviously a good situation to be in. I think it gives you a little more flexibility to swing for the fences, shall we say, you know, not every prospect, comes with the same level of risk in terms of on-field performance uh, and, and, you know, the high end versus the low end of what they can be. And, and I think it maybe gives you a little bit more freedom to attack those guys who can reach that high end, especially when you're in a position like, uh, you know, Seahawks or the Lions this year, where, like you said, they don't expect to be picking top 10 anytime soon. They have good rosters now. They're on the upswing. Um, they, If they're in the top 10 next year, it'll be a massive, massive surprise. Well, it gives you a chance to, with that top ten pick, really go for a guy, you know, go and obviously the way the top six is going to play out, they those picks might pick themselves. They may be dictated, right? But I, I do think it gives you just a touch more flexibility to maybe go after that boomer bust prospect, knowing that your second first round pick, well, that one you can get a safer, uh, maybe higher floor prospect with.
1: Yeah, I do feel like everybody sort of has this natural inclination to treat it as you know, a pick that is house money or that you can then use to gamble and go after um, something with more risk attached to it. There's probably a psychological, you know, reason for that, that everybody leans in the same way. I kind of wonder though, if generally that's a fallacy. What you should just be doing is treating it like, you know, your first round draft pick and just the, the usual standards you apply to your first round pick, that's what you do here. But where I think it is interesting is those teams that are dramatically out of position because of it. Now, maybe it doesn't make you go chasing risk, but maybe it does, like, maybe you should capitalize on the opportunity that you don't expect to have again of picking somewhere, you know, way higher in the draft than you're supposed to be picking. Like, generally speaking, you don't get good value necessarily for trading up, But maybe this is an exception where you say, all right, let's go after a guy that we simply should not have the opportunity to snag without giving up some absurd volume of trade collateral or whether it changes your approach to the quarterback position. Like this is a rare opportunity we're going to have to snag one of the top quarterbacks in the draft. Like, let's change whatever our plan was at that position.
0: I think that's a universal, though. I don't care if it's two first round picks. If if I'm in the top ten maybe 10's pushing it, maybe more like six or seven. If I have a top seven pick in the NFL draft, need should not play a factor at all, in my opinion. You you know, even if I have a quarterback, I should still be willing to kick the tires on a quarterback if I'm drafting in the realm of where the elite quarterbacks, you know, where top quarterback prospects tend to go in the NFL draft. So I think when you hold a pick like that, need gets out my roster right now gets thrown out the window because all you're chasing when you have those premium picks you should just get a premium talent that's where you know a lot of a lot of the elites do come from those positions in the draft or at least high-end players because you know you can see it on tape you can see the physical traits necessary to reach those that potential on tape so i i do think that's not unique to the team's With two draft picks uh, in the first round, it's just if you are drafting the six or in the top six or seven, you should just solely be coveting talent, not necessarily positions.
1: I also think it potentially puts these teams sort of automatically in that range where you know the every now and again you see one of the top quarterbacks, whatever it is, start to quote unquote slide in the draft, and that's where you get a Kansas City trading up for Patrick Mahomes, or you know the Saints wanted to trade up for him. Like that's where you get these teams. So to go, oh, we didn't expect this guy to be available, you know, 10 picks into the draft, let's start trying to make moves and snag him. If you're Detroit or Seattle or even Philadelphia, but less so with Jalen Hurts, like you're automatically in that range right away where you don't even need to think about what if they start to slide. Like you can immediately decide whether you love an Anthony Richardson or, you know, whoever, and actually make an aggressive move to trade for them basically right away
0: yes and that is you know the spot there and obviously jumping india in this year's draft arizona going to be kind of a focal point uh and and kind of a turning point in this draft because from arizona's perspective they'd be happy as a clam to trade back to five or six you know that's really no skin off their back they're still getting will anderson or jalen carter at, with one of those picks if a quarterback's coming off the board uh with you know the lions or seahawks making that move so it may not take that much to try to convince the arizona cardinals to Give you that number three overall pick.
1: got to say, happy as a clam is not an idiom I expected to come out of Mike Renner's mouth. It's, uh, happy as a clam. I don't know if I've ever said that. That one, <laughs> that one just came out. Right. I'm not sure what to do with that. I, I mean, all right. Um, oh all right. Let's get into the team-by-team team thing. But first of all, the PFF NFL podcast is sponsored by Western Southern Financial Group. They uh, provide the studio for us here. They provide these nice little mugs as well. Um, While you focus on your roster moves or who you're going to take in the draft, Western Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow. Western Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com forward slash PFF. westernsouthern.com forward slash PFF. PFF. All right. I ordered these when I wrote an article on PFF.com, essentially by who was picking first. So Houston is obviously up first. They have the number two pick and the number 12 overall pick. The other thing is I noticed just when sketching this out is all four of these teams end up with a pick now inside the top 10. Houston, with the, the best kind of composite of the two, they have two picks inside the top 12. That's a pretty sweet gig for them.
0: Yeah, th- these are when you have this premium a draft capital, and the Eagles maybe not as much, but definitely the Texans, definitely the Lions. It's a franchise defining drafts, right? Like, yeah, I-, I go back to the 2014 Cleveland Browns when they were kind of maybe kicking off one of their first rebuilds, and in a franchise defining draft, they drafted. Justin Gilbert and Johnny Manziel. Maybe the worst first round anyone's ever had in terms of impact. Because it literally negatively impacted. team. They got worse that day. I usually say after the first round, you got better. They got worse after that first round. So this is really where you, if you hit, you know, and, and I think the Lions are in that position, especially with five picks in the top 81. You just go hit, 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 hit. Woof. Five starters like that, five guys, five competent players to a roster is a massive value add. When all those guys are on rookie contracts, uh, I think the Seahawks are in that position as well. Where they, they can grab two maybe blue chip defenders in this draft, all of a sudden this Seahawks team is vaulted right back to where, or right close to where they were in the early two thousands. I, I do think a lot of these, you know, all four of these GMs have a nice off season ahead. This this next month is going to be big for them because uh, you splat on those first two picks, and all of a sudden your roster stalls out and you aren't going anywhere as a team.
1: Yeah, I remember tweeting somewhere during that Raiders draft when they had, you know, Cleveland Furl at four. They came back around. Like, they had a bunch of top picks in that draft, and I tweeted at the time that this is a franchise-defining draft for the Raiders. It's just unfortunate what it is defining, and, Uh. you know... (laughs)
0: But, but that, that kind of went, they went against strategy. We talked about right. strategy with multiple first-round picks. They went wholly against what I would say to do in, in that they didn't take a, a damn swing. You know, they took capped floor, capped ceilings of the players they drafted. They drafted an unathletic edge rusher who was a, you know, profiled to at best a plus-run defender at the NFL level, a running back, and then a box safe. Yeah. You know, those are, that's what you attack. You know, you didn't chase a damn bit of high end with three first round picks. And then, oh, you know, those guys come to fruition, the ends of their rookie deals. And, you know, Jonathan Abram, the only real massive bust of the three in terms of just like being not being able to see the football field. But like, it still didn't matter because, again, they were not impactful players, like just didn't profile the impactful players.
1: Well, they did like the worst of both worlds, right? They they reached which is like the cardinal sin the one thing you you statistically should not be doing on the basis that there's every evidence says that reaching is bad like the consensus board is better than teams going out on their own taking a player that they think is way better than the board but they did it you're not smarter than everyone else right basically but they did it for players with no upside so you reach for a guy who can't possibly pay you back because even if you're right It's not going to end up looking good because the guy isn't going to make that kind of impact on the field. Um, The flip side of that is, like, the the Jets last year, who had this boatload of positive, really high-end picks, and, you know, played it relatively safe, but to the point where they're getting criticized of, well, this isn't even a good draft. Like, they had all these high picks. This was... A no-brainer, but they end up with the offensive rookie of the year, the defensive rookie of the year, a guy who was the front-runner for offensive rookie of the year before he tore his ACL. Like, they made massive inroads just by not being stupid with those picks.
0: Funny how that works. Right.
1: So let's go with the the Texans. They start off, you know, they're picking number two. Obviously, that one is going to be a quarterback. What is – like, what's the ideal scenario for the Texans?
0: Ideal scenario for my money, for them, two and twelve. Pick two, Bryce Young. I, I think we've talked a lot about right. that. If they're if the Panthers don't draft C.J. Stroud at this point, it would be a massive uh, upheaval. Like I would, I expect C.J. Stroud to go number one, and then at number two, you're getting gifted still, even after losing that number one overall pick in the craziest Week 18 game. Getting gifted still, the best quarterback to draft for my money. So Bryce Young, and then for him and his skill set, I want to pair him with Quinn Johnston in this draft class. I don't think he's a guy, you know, to me, there's two top wide receivers in this class and then a little bit of a tier and then two more and then a little bit of a tier. And the top two are Quinn Johnson's and uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba. I just don't think Bryce Young, for as good as we say he works the middle of the football field, he's not a work the middle of the football field underneath kind of guy. You know, the shorter quarterbacks, that's still an area of the football field where they will struggle. Not struggle, but just won't attack based off of sight lines. Um, so I-, I think that's a lot where Jack Smith and Jigbo wins, but where G- Quinn Johnson wins is over the middle of the field on like dig routes, uh, on intermediate crossers and those sort of things. And then he presents a big catch radius for a guy like Bryce Young to hit. So uh, I think just giving him weapons is never a bad thing. That, to me, is the ideal scenario if I'm the Houston Texans leaving this first on the draft.
1: Yeah, I think the Bryce Young thing is absolutely their best scenario. To me, that would be a little like last year when you know the Aiden Hutchinson was supposed to be the number one overall pick f- for most of the process, and then all of a sudden the Jags do what they do and draft the super athlete, and Hutchinson ends up slipping to two, and the Lions are just like Not the Jags.
0: Trent Baalke does what Trent Baalke does. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, all of a sudden Detroit ends up just getting gifted a guy that they didn't think they were going to have a shot at and, and run the card in. Like for Houston to lose control of that number one overall pick and still get what you and I think is the best quarterback in this draft, like it can't get any better than that. That's, that's as lucky as you're going to get. And then we're on the same page in terms of giving that guy receiving help with number 12. I've gone with Jackson Smith and Jigba just on the basis that, and I think your point is fair. That Johnston is a bigger threat on the outside. I just I want like a guarantee of upgrading that receiving core, you know, with as much uh, as much of a, a boost as I can make it. And you know, I think Jackson Smith and Jigba might be the safest receiver in this draft class. Like, however debatable it is that he can play outside and be a true X receiver. You know, the sort of minimum of what he's going to add is a really good uh, separator on slot stuff, working all three levels, to be fair, but from that inside alignment.
0: Truthfully, I mean, I, I think like the PFF draft board right now, how it's aligned, I have them 12th overall. Um, and truthfully, like, that may be too low just based on the value that that brings to the table at the NFL. Like, There's not as much as we say, you know, slot production, whatever. It's, it's somewhat easier to come by. A lot of guys can do this and that to that degree though, to, to, I think the safety with which we know Jackson Smith, the jig was going to be a good pro and to which he can really not, I don't want to say not be guarded on that route tree, but just should be, as sure a thing on that route as possible. I, I think that almost we almost underrate that because there really aren't that many guys who are slot machines, you know, at the NFL level that are really that automatic in that regard and then have a little bit of versatility to them as well. Um, and so I think like, I, I, if you wanted to draft him top seven in this draft, I don't think that's crazy just because of the value proposition that wide receivers are what moves the needle for offenses around the NFL. True guys that can get open consistently. So yeah, I I don't I wouldn't again argue with either guy there. I do think if wide receiver one is available to them at twelve, they should take wide receiver one.
1: Yeah. I mean his he's pushing he's in that category or that question again of pushing because the degree of certainty that he's going to be good or the confidence, the degree of confidence everybody has that he's going to be good, that pushes up where you should draft a guy because yeah. other players are dealing with a greater degree of uncertainty and that even if they have a higher ceiling or that their value is potentially higher, it's riskier, right? So this was the case with with Quentin Nelson when he came out. Like the degree of certainty was so high that you have to say, well all right, theoretically you don't draft a guard really high, but if you're like a hundred percent certain that guard is going to be a star, now how how high can you draft him? And that was I think the yes. conversation last year with kyle hamilton as well like a safety is not a tremendously valuable position but we're so confident this guy is going to be good that changes that dynamic a bit as well and then smith and Jigba. now you're talking about slot receivers and if you're really confident that slot receiver is going to be elite how high can you push him and that's before you get to that thing of what if he can do more than that like what if he can mm-hmm. play on the outside and win as an next receiver as well
0: yeah and I, I think more succinctly, the point I was trying to make is that people look at slot receivers and say, "Oh, it's less valuable than an outside receiver." Right. And I do agree that it is. But is a slot receiver less valuable than an elite guard? You know, we're saying he can't reach this high end at his position is why we're kind of not is why people are knocking him down boards. He can't reach the high end of his position. But I do still think a slot receiver is more impactful than an elite guard. Is more impactful than say a guy who can reach the pinnacle of uh, impact at safety, you, you know, at other maybe you know at linebacker, even like you're pushing it. That like, would you rather have Cooper Cup on your roster, or would you rather have Fred right. Warner? Like, that's a real debate. Cooper Cup's never going to reach Julio Jones levels of impact at wide receiver, but as we saw, you know, like he can be the focal point of an offense that leads you to a Super Bowl. So I, I do think that that conversation, like a slot receiver, still may be a lot more valuable than other positions that are going to get drafted higher where Jack Smith and Jigler goes. All
1: right, let's move on to Seattle. Um, pick number five, pick number 20 for the Seahawks. What's their optimum dream scenario?
0: I think dream scenario for them is Jalen Carter at five, the Georgia defensive tackle. That, that just feels like a place where he would thrive, right? Like, like Michael Bennett was a, you know, I don't want to say it came with similar off-field concerns. Carter's unique in what has gone on over the past six months. Uh, in his life but there's they the staff that they have in place pete carroll john schneider have shown a willingness and ability to i guess foster growth in players with off-field and character they they, that's been like they've had a lot of guys who when they're there you don't hear anything about them and then when they leave earl thomas is you know uh fighting his brother because they got in a little love <laughs> triangle. Like there's weird stuff happens when they all leave the Seahawks, but when they're in Seattle, things go well. So I, I do think that'd be a great landing spot, not only for him, but for the Seahawks as well uh, with that roster. And, and then at pick 20, I've gone back and forth on this. Uh, I think with their mold and, and with the picks they have in the second round, that's where they draft cornerback. Uh, cornerbacks, obviously, knee on that roster. You get one other guy across crossing freak woolen and I think you have a great secondary there in the making. I'm going wide receiver here and I'm going Zay Flowers. I don't know, I'm giving everyone wide receivers at this point, but I think Jalen Carter and Zay Flowers is an electric first round to lead. Like, that is a shot in the arm right there for 12 Nation Seahawks fans. Like, that that, that would be, in my opinion, one of the best first rounds of anyone if they walked away with that.
1: Yeah, I, I got to admit, I had Jalen Carter for them when I first wrote this article and then found myself wanting to put Carter somewhere else. So pivoted and went. I decided that Will Anderson um, is basically as good a dream scenario for them as Jalen Carter. I I think it's the same thing. They need defensive line. They could use an upgrade interior. They could use an upgrade opposite um, Chenu and Wosu. So either way, I think it works. And I think it's it's not – obviously – there's a reasonable chance at this point that Jalen Carter slips based off his off-field thing. But it wouldn't take that much for Will Anderson to make it to pick five either. So I like that. Either one of those I think works for them as a dream scenario. Um, and pick 20, we're in the same area. Like I went wide receiver as well. I think Jordan Addison would be a fantastic receiver in this offense. I, Addison to me is starting to get more and more um, – Underrated as this whole thing goes. UC, USC wide receiver, not TCU as it's there in the uh, the graphic. But I think Addison is getting overlooked. Like his size was not concerning, but his size wasn't great. Um, his workout numbers weren't great. And all of a sudden, like all the attention's just going everywhere else, whether it's Zay Flowers, whether it's Smith and Jigba. I just think Addison is too good to not be good, like too good at everything. <laughs>
0: Too good to not be good. I, I will say his size is a little concerning for me. Um, but I, I I agree with that sentiment of he's too good not to be good. Um, he really is that kind of... I think I likened him to... He moves the way like, high-end soccer players move and that it's just like yeah. easy for him to do. It, it, it may not be the fastest, the most explosive, but it's the ease of which... He goes through everything. That's just like, damn. Then um, I think he's a real high floor at the next level. Yeah. I do worry about the size in terms of can he be an outside guy, but landing spot wise, he goes to Seattle, and they don't need an outside guy. You know, they have two of those already. He right. is your slot, and I think he's uh, very crafty in that regard, and can be a high end slot receiver at the next level. So, yeah, I. I think either of those two guys, you'd be really happy to have a receiver.
1: Yeah, it's another spot where even if he's only a slot for Seattle at 20, I think that's perfect. Like, that's the thing they need the most. To the point where I was considering, you know, is a Dalton Kincaid a a great landing or an ideal spot for them? Like, maybe not a slot, but a tight end that can work the middle of the field and, you know, add that and still be a vertical threat. That was the other sort of uh, thing I was thinking. Not a
0: Noah Fant fan?
1: Yeah, uh, not really um that was the other thing I was thinking though when I was trying to like pair them with potential weapons is even if I'm looking for a guy who plays the slot I would like that slot to be a vertical threat and give yeah. Geno Smith as many of those as possible
0: yeah that's where I mean that's that's that offense that's where he excels that's uh what they're built to do so that's yeah I, I think either either Addison or Zay Flowers or even Dalton Kincaid if he's available um Another weapon would be sweet.
1: I mean, the crazy thing about Geno Smith is he didn't just take over from Russell Wilson and essentially immediately follow on with, like, the best quarterback season that Seattle have had, but he also picked up where Wilson left off as, like, the best deep ball thrower in the NFL, which was kind of weird.
0: Uh, That was his game back at West Virginia. Now, it was not his game with the Jets or the Giants, but (laughs) (laughs) it was a, a wild, wild, wild sort of emergence for him and also like why quarterback development I think still matters like yeah. still like fostering these guys that we just have re- need to reset expectations uh, of what it should look like at the NFL level
1: and it's going to help when you have DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett to throw to I mean there's a big part of deep ball throwing in particular that is very wide open. yeah like I mean remember Joe Burrow right rookie year it's like why can't joe burrow complete a deep pass and then all of a sudden you put jamar chase back in his offense and he becomes immediately one of the better deep ball throwers in the nfl like it's having a guy that you know can get open and are trusting to put the ball in the air is kind of important why can't he throw it
0: 30 yards downfield to a blanketed aj green sam (laughs) why is that not working
1: i don't know what's what's the problem yeah it's it's a mystery as soon as you put a, a jamar chase there Man remembers how to hit a target. Um, all right, Detroit Lions, pick number six and pick number eighteen.
0: I went back and forth on this one a lot. I think pick number six would love Tyree Wilson for sure. There's no no doubt in my mind. He'd be a great value add. But I do think at pick eighteen, you can still add D line in this class. Now maybe not as unique, shall we say, as Tyree Wilson. But you can still add one who's a dude but you can't add a quarterback like anthony Richardson. you're not within striking distance you are right now a pick six you can get up to pick three with relatively little draft capital brad holmes is an aggressive aggressive gm has been over his uh, course of his career with detroit lions you saw the move last year for Jamison williams that was a massive move this isn't nearly as big a move to get from six to three it, it might take just like one of those seconds to go arizona's way because as i mentioned before arizona has the impetus to move down as well because they will still get one of the top defensive prospects more likely than not in this draft class if they do. So moving up just a little for Anthony Rich and taking that swing of a guy who you give immediately a scenario where he, he doesn't have to have any pressure on him. Right. You know, it's still Goff's team. You still, you still say it's Goff's team for the next two years. And I think it's a pick that's very worthwhile in what he brings to the table. And, and to me, it gives you a high floor backup where as soon as golf goes down, Uh, You get Benny Johnson just dialing up the run game play after play with that dominant offensive line, and all of a sudden, you don't even ask Anthony Rich in the past. You just turn him into a glorified uh, fullback back there. So I love the thought of just adding him to the mix and having a plan for his development and not putting any pressure on him to be the guy and just saying, Goff, these these next two years are yours. Uh, Make the most of them because this guy's waiting in the wings. And then Miles Murphy at 18. So, yeah, like I said, you, you can get that edge at six, but I think you can also get a high-end toolsy edge down somewhere at 18, whether it's Miles Murphy, whether it's someone like Nolan Smith down there at that point in the draft. I, I think, or even like a Klaja there, there will be a D-lineman that falls to that point, and you can grab it then. I don't think, unless, you know, really Jalen Carter or Will Anderson is there on the board for you, uh, I, I think in this scenario, especially, though, if I draft Anthony Richard, Miles Murphy's the guy I want, a strong... Bigger defensive end that complements Aiden Hutchinson. He's the guy that can play over tight ends, play over tackles. We saw Hutchinson struggle in that kind of role this past year. Uh, obviously, after he lost a bunch of weight, going to a senior year at Michigan, uh, it was just not the same type of power player to really do that role. Miles Murphy can. So I, I think that's a good compliment. Uh, maybe not quite NFL ready, why false pick 18, but a nice developmental piece.
1: Yeah, I gotta two say, two big swings. When, when you brought it up the last time we talked, you sold me on the idea of Detroit drafting Anthony Richardson, um, even to the point of trading up to three with Arizona and making that happen. I I love that. I think that's exactly what we talked about earlier. Like that is how you take advantage of the unusual being out of position draft spot and take a shot at something that you would have no no realistic shot at otherwise. Like if Detroit was just picking a pick eighteen had no other additional ammunition, no chance, right? Their only hope would be somebody like Will Levis falling in the draft and suddenly being available like the middle of the first round. And then that's a, a different kind of conversation. But all of a sudden, you're sitting there at six. You might It's going to take maybe that second-round pick to jump to three and have a – literally the most athletic quarterback that's ever come into the nfl who doesn't have to start day one who can be worked on in the background while you figure out what you can do with him love that um i figured since it was like a dream scenario i might as well just sit here at six and say the dream scenario is he falls to six and you can draft him anyway without having to trade away the second pick so i'm taking anthony richardson at six that's the dream scenario for detroit they don't have to trade anything to arizona they just sit there Richardson has enough concerns about his passing that he's available. They pounce on him. Um, and then my pick at 18 was one of the guys you mentioned, Kalijah Kansi, coming in there and being that impact, interior, pass-rushing guy that they just don't have on that defensive line right now.
0: Yeah, I, I love Kalija Kansi to the Lions. Um, I-, I do think they need to add defense. But there is also a world. Let me throw this scenario at you, Sam. That I, I've been ruminating on with the Lions, and I think from Brad Holmes could be, could be way like it, it would be a massive swing. But just hear me out: <laughs> okay. pick six or whatever, Anthony Richardson, go up and get him. Eighteen, Bijan Robinson, forty-eight in the second, Osiris Torrance, guard from Florida. You create the scariest rushing offense the NFL has ever seen with those three draft picks overnight. Overnight, that's the scariest rushing offense the NFL has ever seen. Anthony Richardson, Bijan Robinson, and the best, or if not the best, the second best offensive line in the NFL. You yeah. cannot tell me that that does not intrigue you, at least a little
1: bit. Sam. It does. And look, pick 18 is like that's right in the area where I am 100% fine with taking a guy like Bijan Robinson. I think his contract at that point is cheap if he ends up being a really good player. And in terms of like opportunity costs, okay, you know, Bijan Robinson versus a Kalijah Kansi, and that's our dream scenario. I think cornerback is still in play at 18 in a way that you would feel better about than having to shoehorn one into number six. You know, the the additions that they made in free agency, I think gives them that kind of flexibility where they can wait. And if one of those top corners or a guy they love is available at 18, they can pounce there, but they don't have to, you know, reach for him at six. I like that as process. But, yeah, like, I think Bijan should absolutely be in the mix as an option. And you're right. If you can then add a guard and try and stop that, like, um, musical chairs that was going on in the interior last season, yeah, that would be, that would be a potentially terrifying offense. I
0: like it. Who's stopping this offense? The graphic would actually, like, no one. there, there would be no good answer for it. There, there, it would be the first time there would probably be no one stopping that
1: often we this is this right here look you're doing the editorial work for them that's your social (laughs) clip that's your graphic this is all being cut out right now and being worked on let's get to the last team philadelphia eagles the super bowl participant from the nfc have a top 10 draft pick and their pick their rightful pick at 30 not 31 because of miami being uh stripped of their pick so pick number 10 pick number 30 what's their ideal scenario
0: First off, the way you said "participant" made it sound like such like a minor thing. Like they, they got a, tr- a participation, the Super Bowl participant. They, yeah. they were there. They tried their. best.
1: I, I realized um, sort of midway through the sentence that they didn't win it. So
0: I, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, so the NFC champs. Yeah, but also the Super Bowl participant. Um, th- their dream scenario, uh, I, I think, they don't have a lot of spots available. Right, they're, they're, this was a good roster. They were they were the Super Bowl participant for a reason. They uh, on offense, there's really like no starting role to get. Maybe guard, right. and Howie Rosen is not going to draft a guard in the first round. It just you can bank on that. He's also, you know, they could use linebacker. Not going to draft a linebacker in the first round. You could bank on that. So I will try to be a little bit more realistic here. And with pick ten, I went with Lucas Van Ness, the Iowa edge rusher, because of just stylistically how Philadelphia builds their defensive lines. They like pocket push. They like guys who can collapse the pocket. Guys with high end juice. That is Lucas Van Ness. If you want a bull rusher in this draft class, he is the best one. So Lucas Van Ness, Iowa, and then the back end first round uh, pick 30. We're going Brian Branch, the Alabama safety. I, I know he's falling with maybe his mediocre pre-draft testing, even if it was still like solid by safety standards. It wasn't, uh, I they call it well above average also. So he's just a damn good football player and an immediate impact football player uh, at a position you lost uh Deal from this offseason, obviously, with CJ Garden Johnson leaving. So, I think he seamlessly just fills that hole and you run it back defensively with really no hiccups on that side of the ball.
1: Yeah, we've been disturbingly in a uh, lockstep with these. So, this is where I wanted to put Jalen Carter as a dream scenario for the mm, Eagles. Like that I is think, dreamy. I think as long as we're, you know, as long as we're dreaming here, Jalen Carter with the legal issues, with the crappy workout at the pro day. You know, let's say he's starting to slide. The Seahawks could absolutely pounce on him if they decide to pass. Like it's, it's getting to ten for Philadelphia. It's not crazy, and it would be obviously the dream for them. Like imagine being able to repair uh, Jalen Carter with. Um, with Jordan Davis as your sort of anchors, mm. plus the rotation that they always have, like the edge rushers as well. You're just
0: 2021 Georgia right. defense, basically. That,
1: You're your them. With Nicobe Dean behind you, Like this is, exa- this is perfect. We're just recreating the best college defense of all time in the NFL. Um, and then 30, we went with the same player. This is the one I thought might be a little bit too dreamy. Like, maybe uh, even implausible that, that Brian Branch makes it this far, given how good he is. But... Yeah, getting him to come in, be your slot corner. They obviously retained both starting outside corners somehow in free agency. Um, he can play cover the slot, do, do the Chauncey Gardner Johnson job essentially for them, and they've got somebody's able to replace what they lost at safety. But like I, that would be perfect. Like that's the one spot where you look at probably both sides of the ball where you say there's a an immediate not necessarily every down starting position, but there's an immediate like 700 snaps to be had at that spot.
0: Yeah, I I love Brian Branch to them, if you pause. A big if at this point. I, I do think his tape is better than pick 30. It is more of a value proposition. Um, and I, I guess just a philosophical proposition at this point where he ends up landing. But he's in that realm of, I, I don't have to worry You know, that we just talked about, Jackson Smith and Jigba. I've drafted a good football player. This is not – he's not going to be Justin Gilbert. We're not going to be the 2014 Browns if I draft Brian Branch.
1: Right. Um, Do you – like, if you look at this pick number 10, the Eagles seem – the Eagles seem to have a draft, by the way, that is impossible for Eagles fans to like. Like, I've yet to see a combination where Eagles fans have been happy with the two players they've emerged with. And I think maybe part of that is because the Eagles tend to have relatively – unexciting just sort of you know future proofing type drafts like we'll take a player we don't necessarily need or a guy that's going to come in and get 300 snaps as part of a d-line rotation not you know 800 as a dominant like every down guy but at 10 they're gonna have their choice of like several defensive linemen I would think.
0: Yeah and I think Eagles fans aren't happy with any draft because one it's just like that's a tenet of being an Eagles fan is to be unhappy about every decision that's made. And two, it's like, you look at this roster, where are the needs? Well, the needs are positions that I-Rose is not going to draft. You know, they drafted Cam Jurgens in second last year. Ideally, he's a center only. Maybe they play him at guard. Like, that's your one spot kind of on offense that you could address. You could maybe get a better slot wide receiver than Quez Watkins, but I think for what they do offensively, he's fine. Um, you could use... A linebacker, obviously N'Kobe Dean, uh, they lost both their starters from a year ago. Nicoby Dean really like what you're hanging your hat on there. Could use another one, but you know, that's for the third round. That's what that round is for. That's what third, fourth round picks are for. So there's really not a lot where you're looking at this roster and saying we have to address XYZ. And that's why you know when Howie Rosen is in that position, well, he's just gonna take valuable positions because that's how you build a team for long term success.
1: One pick a- that Eagles fans do seem to love is the idea of drafting Bijan Robinson at number ten. Explain to me why that's not a good idea.
0: Well, I've said I think we did that running back conversation, and I said don't draft a running back to transform your running game. Mm -hmm. He he doesn't need to transform shit. They, they, They are you know top two or three running game in the NFL already. So he only, you know, it, it's taking you to a level. If you draft a be John Robinson, that is scary. So pick 10 to me, it's a little rich, but he is awesome. If it's pick 30, I I'm on board with that wholesale. Oh, yeah. If he's all the way there at the back end of the first round, or even if he's slipping and you want to move up just a little bit, I'm not opposed, but I do think with that pick 10, they're probably just not in a great spot. If they trade back from 10 though, well, we could be in the money. If they trade back and just like keep loading up into the picks, we could, we could, we could be seeing a Bijan Robinson in uh, Eagles jersey, and I wouldn't hate it at all. Yeah. Now, would Roseman do it? Eh, TBD. But I, I he drafted a running back in the second. How much farther? And it was Miles Sanders who wasn't, you know, holding the candle to Bijan. Right.
1: I mean, I, yeah, I've been, I've been kind of talking about the running backs drafted in the first round is like a, is a two part proposition. The the first part being how high does the contract get in that slotted, you know, rookie contract tiered system, and bottom of the top ten is still fine. Like. Number 10 overall is not an egregious contract for a running back if he turns out to be really good. So, that part I think is cool. The second part is opportunity cost and what did you leave on the table by drafting a running back at that particular spot? That's where I think the Bijan spot gets more questionable. But I think you've also brought up a third point, which is definitely worth throwing in there as well, which is what do you need that running back to do? Like, if you need him to fix the running game, no, it's it's just a binary thing. Does he need to fix the running game on his own? Yes or no. If he does, don't make the pick. If he doesn't, now we can still talk because that, that's a different. Like All he needs to do is to add value to what's already good. So in this scenario, I think Bijan does actually tick two of the three boxes there. He the, the contract isn't egregious. You don't need him to transform your run game. And then the only question is, what are you leaving on the table by drafting him? And that's where I think you still come down on the no side because alright in our dream or my dream scenario you've got Jalen Carter sitting there but even if you don't you know you have a potentially impact defensive lineman okay your defensive line is good already but like that guy is probably going to make more of a difference to you than Bijan Robinson and that's this year you're not even thinking about what happens when Brandon Graham finally does retire and Fletcher Cox retires and you know you it, it's about the next few years as well so to me, it's a harder case to make when you look at the opportunity cost part of it.
0: And also, it's like, is he even better than Rashad Penny? Because Rashad Penny is the GOAT NFL <laughs> running back, as it stands right now. 5.7 career yards per carry, uh, higher than anyone else in modern NFL history. So, uh, you, you know, is he comfortable being a backup? You're going to have to kick the tires and ask him that, right. redraft. Because he, if he goes there, he's, you know... He's only there when Penny gets hurt in week five.
1: I mean, look, I have a relatively crazy pre-draft take on Rashad Penny sitting there somewhere on video on Steve's camera, I think. So nobody is more invested in Rashad Penny being amazing. We you know were me.
0: both, right? Right. Remember that? We were both like I, I said as a runner, I said he's better than Saquon as a runner. Yeah. But now Saquon was much, much better as a pass catcher and like all the other things about playing the position. But I was like, as a runner, this guy is unique. Like he was insane at San Diego State.
1: Right. And I said overall I think he's a better player. Um so nobody is more invested in Rashad Penny going for two thousand yards for the Eagles this year than I am. But yeah. Given his injury history, I think you probably gotta say at the very minimum, I would like a contingency plan there. And, you know, alternatively, Bijan comes in, just becomes the the workhorse. So like theoretic like yeah. you put Bijan on that team, obviously I love the fit, but that's where I think it falls down is if you have to leave a Jalen Carter or, you know, a Lucas Van Ness or a Tyree Wilson or whoever it is on the table to make that happen, it's just not worth it. Yeah,
0: and especially this class, you have your full complement of picks after this sixty-two, right? Ninety-four, like though there, there's going to be a back there that's pretty awesome. I mean, dude, yeah. yeah what happens? Uh, that that? At forget at
1: ten. What happens if you come back, you know, a, a round or two later and get a Zach Charbonnet in there? Like, yeah, that feels like it would be pretty he's, damn good as well. He's still
0: going to rate, yeah. All
1: right, so that's that's why if it was you and I, and in fact, Howie you're probably not drafting B. John Robinson at number 10 overall. So sadly, Eagles fans are going to have to accept <laughs> one of the drafts that makes you mad. Like, just deal with it. Yeah. You're making you're making the team better. This is the best way forward. What's the, the, this is yeah. the? This is the way. That's what the, Man, the Mandalorian would say.
0: Usually I hate saying, like, oh, you know, the appeals to authority. But Howie Roseman knows better than you, I'll just say. Like, Howie <laughs> Roseman's fucking good at this trust Howie Roseman, he knows
1: better. <laughs> yeah, he has a pretty good track record in the last couple of years of being right more often yeah. than he's wrong. And even even the areas where he's been wrong, it, on, in hindsight, they do look like pretty good like uh, uh, process picks. You know, yeah.
0: yeah, he's right in his process is more what I would say. He, he knows what he's doing process-wise. Right. Now, pure talent evaluation, they've obviously had some egregious misses over the years, but process is more what I'm saying. Like He knows... How to build an NFL roster.
1: Yep. All right. So that's our uh that's our dream scenario for every team with an extra first round pick. Don't go crazy with it. Don't treat it like free, free gamble, you know, free free bets. The uh the what are they what are the bonus bets that you get now for every special? Oh sport? yeah.
0: I mean that's the uh that's the psychological sort of play behind the bonus bets, right? Is right? like making you think that, that fifty dollars that you're betting, oh, it's nothing. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is this first round pick that I got, it's nothing. It's free. No, you still gotta use that. You still should use that first round pick very responsibly. Right. Use that fifty dollars in your account very responsibly. Now you want to get don't the, just go betting willy nilly.
1: Yeah, if you want to get the money out at the end of it, don't treat it like it's free money. Don't you know actually try and turn it into profit and get the profit out at the end of it.
0: There so you go. go.
1: This is just yep. this is. Drafting advice this is gambling advice. We're all kinds of consumer, uh, consumer help on this show. All right, Michael, thank you very much for your, uh, your attendance today and your insight. Uh, excellent, as always. Myself and Steve will be back on Monday. And uh, everyone have a good weekend.